Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Roel Bellin, a senior platform engineer at Serverless Inc., who's been working as a dynamic software engineer for more than a decade. How are you doing today, Roel? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, trying to get used to the work from home life. Um, how about yourself? <laughs> um, well, thankfully, I'm used to it. I've been a remote employee for a little over a year and a half now. So, And Serverless Inc. is a fully distributed team, so we're pretty much oh, okay. used to this. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So y'all are more than more than ready. We had to do some adjusting internally on our end because it was like, oh man, we were we just got an office like two months ago and then it was like, oh, now we have to work remote and how do we how do we get the communication flow? But uh, we're getting we're getting on top of it. Um, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well uh, for those listening, uh, I guess we can jump into, you know, what's your background uh, and 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 then we can go from there. Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so my name is Roel. Um, I was born and raised in the Philippines. Uh, came to the U.S. when I was 14. Um, I have a CS background, but I didn't really discover software engineering until I took um, that intro to algorithms or programming in my sophomore or junior year in college. I don't remember exactly uh, which year. Um, I wasn't particularly uh, into computers growing up. In fact, they didn't even have a computer until I was about 15. So um, <laughs> until till to this day, I still can't type like the right way. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, after I took that, um, that class, I, I just knew that I wanted to write software for a living. So yeah, I've, I've been around the blocker for quite some time. I started my career actually in the enterprise, uh, working on Java enterprise services. I spent a lot of time uh, than migrating huge like monolithic business systems, and I'm talking about mainframe systems, not to give out my age or anything, to to a uh, distributed you know service-oriented architecture. So uh, it's funny because we've been we've been migrating from monoliths to smaller services for such a long time. It's it's just uh, just funny. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, like I said, I spent the first maybe seven years of my career in the enterprise and. Uh, after that, I moved on to to the startup world, um, where I've been working for the last eight years. I started uh, working for a business, an open source business intelligence software company in Orlando, Florida, um, where you know I get to uh, build visualizations, ATL tools, um, uh, things like that for data warehousing. And then in 2016, I uh, moved, uh, took my talents to Boulder, Colorado, um, uh, seeking for, uh, you know, more startups. Um, and I've been, I've been working for various startups ever since. And that's, and we can talk about it later, but that's kind of where my serverless journey began. Um, when I moved to Boulder, uh, working at the, uh, energy intelligence software company. Wow. Okay. All right. And then going back to kind of the, the start there. Um, so you, you came out of the gate working on enterprise and you said, monolith mainframes to microservices uh it, they, it, they weren't called microservices back then it was just um you're moving to a service-oriented architecture so it's smaller services but um they're more distributed okay all right and um and so now are you currently still working with java or are you have you you stepped into different programming languages like Oh, that's, that's actually, uh, I, I, I love learning new languages. Uh, I love working on that or on different various ones. So, um, I've, I would say that, um, this, uh, since joining serverless Inc is probably the first time where I'm not writing any JVM language at all. 
Um, yeah, because right now, you know, most of our backend are, are in JavaScript. Uh, we're introducing a little bit of TypeScript and uh, we have Go um, in our backend. In my previous job, I, I, I wrote uh, in Scala, Python, and Rust. <laughs> and the uh, one before that was, uh, you know, Java, Kotlin, uh, Groovy, a little bit of closure, but um, not very much. Uh, at least when when I left. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been I'm mostly on the JVM world. Um, it's funny because like Serverless Inc hired me um, without really having worked on on JavaScript and Node before, so that was kind of cool. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. When I mean like JavaScript, I mean like on the Node side because like I did a little bit of Angular back in the day, but it's been such a long time. Okay. And so you know, kind of having that, that you know you know can't see the forest through the trees for you being outside the forest. What does it look like? In terms of languages, what does it look like for people that are just starting? Should they? Do you have any preference on where you would start if you could? Uh, if you could go back ten years ago plus and then restart your career, what would you, what would you go with? <laughs> I, it just really depends on what you uh, what you want, right? If you want to, if you want, if you want that full stack experience, obviously there's you can't go wrong with JavaScript. In fact, there's really no other choice as far as like on the front end. Um, uh, if you wanted to focus more on the backend machine or, you know, backend and machine learning, then Python probably is the best bet. Um, if you wanted to build more business applications working on the enterprise, uh, I mean, Java is still very much, uh, used there. Um, personally, I've been, <laughs> I've been writing TypeScript for about three weeks and I really enjoy it. Um, so. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Rust. Uh, I just I, I like I like a lot of languages. Like there's different use cases that w- that I would use them. So, uh, yeah. Gotcha. All right. So it's what's one of those things where it's like a uh, different tool, use the tool for the right job. One of those things. Yeah. As exactly. Well. Yeah. All right. And then and then when it comes to serverless, you mentioned that you know you came to startup land. Uh, you joined Serverless Inc. or started doing start- uh, startups prior to that. And then how did the how did the serverless journey start? And and what did it turn into? Yeah, so I would say I'm actually probably one of the earliest uh, adopters of serverless or Lambda at least. Um, so back in early 2016, I was working for, uh, you know, energy uh, intelligence management company here in Boulder. And um, I was tasked, one of my first project was to, um, uh, it was a data engineering task to basically run a number of like uh, uh, home energy simulation predictions. Um, so I've, I was given this list of collection of addresses. Um, you run this against this, you know, uh, this model, this data science model, and then save the result to Redshift. And um, I wanted to, a way to do that pretty fast and without like bothering a lot of people. So I, I started playing around with Lambda and that's kind of um, how I got introduced to Lambda. Um, and you know, it was such. You know, basically, I was I was I was ingesting a uh, file from S3 with all the addresses, calling the the you know the prediction modeling service, and then storing it back to S3, and then basically uh, pushing that to Redshift, and 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 that's when I saw really like the 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 power of Lambda. That in like the next um, projects, like I really I really pushed for. API Gateway and Lambda for this uh, API that uh, for the APIs that we were building for um, this mobile app um, called My Home. Um, yeah, so at the time I actually wasn't using Serverless Framework, right? I had to I had to build my own scripts to to basically deploy the Lambda. Uh, I was using a, a I created a Gradle plugin. Uh, so Gradle is a build build system for um, 
for the JVM. All right. Um, so you you started off, and then you uh, you said you created your own scripts, not using serverless framework. And I guess the first question I would ask, with having having been doing this since 2016, uh, what are the biggest shifts that you've seen um, since 2016 to now in serverless? Yeah, um, I think uh, obviously adoption is um, is increasing. Right, you're seeing more tools uh, that are geared towards. Uh, uh, towards serverless. I mean, back then, uh, there weren't really a lot of tools, like even API gateway things like, you know, serverless framework, for instance, makes it really easy, right? Right. But back then I was, you know, clicking myself to death, like setting up these endpoints in API gateway. And even then <laughs> it was still faster to like build it with API gateway than building it in a typical, like, you know, uh, container or whatever. Um, another trend that I'm seeing, um, obviously like, I think because of the uh, you know low barrier to entry, I think you're seeing a lot more. Um, even I would I would say maybe junior or a lot lot more less experience in the backend engineers, um, like implementing things on on Lambda because it's it's just so approachable, like the the development model. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, that's one big thing I've seen as well. Was just the uh, the low barrier of entry, as you pointed out. It's like. The, uh, you know, I came from a code school initially and I have a lot of people that are in my, my close ish circle. These, some of these code schools have 150 people in it. So <laughs> you end up graduating and you have like, you know, a whole bunch of connections, which is nice. But, um, a lot of them have been able to transition into doing stuff like, uh, backend development, uh, pretty, pretty close to like leaving code school strictly because as you pointed out, like using Lambda and API gateway, and then removing that complexity is uh, so easily done. Yeah. When, yeah. When, when it comes to like the container API development and moving back to some of your, uh, when you're first starting with uh, servers, how have you, what is the difference there in terms of like the operational side of building applications? Oh, how does oh a, a, a ton. Um, it used to be, um, even, even when we were running, I, when we were running Mesos, basically a container orchestration uh, tool, um, that kind of Kubernetes sort of, uh, uh, took over, but, uh, even, even with the container, for instance, so like setting up an environment for dev or production usually involved, like going back and forth with the devs, DevOps team or something like that, or an operations team where like, you know, well, you know, how, how big do you want this database? What's the, what memory size do you need? Like what's, how many load balancers do you want? You know, things like that. There's just a lot more, um, like prerequisites and, and, and boilerplate stuff that you'd have to do, even though you're running these pretty modern, um, you know, uh, deployment, uh, deployment tool. Right. Um, so to me personally, like I, what I really love about serverless is that it significantly, uh, drastically reduces the friction from development to deployment. You know, you could, you could create, um, you know, a function, um, and then push it out to, to a real environment really, really quickly. Right. Um, and so I just want to go back to like, you know, um, my experience. Um, so after in about 2017, I had an experience, uh, I had an opportunity to work as the first platform engineer for a startup. And I had a chance to like build the entire platform, uh, from the ground up and all on serverless. And, um, I think the first, the first year or the first 10 months, I was the only platform engineer there and, and just the amount of work that was able, you know, 
that got done was so much because I didn't have to deal with, with ops essentially, you know, um, we had, we had customers in production, um, <laughs> like the first, you know, two months or something like that, uh, of, of like starting from nothing. So it was, it was, uh, and, and that really, when, you know, it, I, it reinforced my belief that like Lambda is the, and, and serverless is the future. Wow. Okay. So you, you started at this company, platform engineer, and y'all built everything with serverless and it was solely you for the first 10 months. I was the only what? platform engineer. We had a, another uh, front end engineer. Yeah. Okay. And so what did that, uh, how did this end up getting built out? Like what was the, what was the stack? Uh, what was, was it a Lambda API gateway? Was there other resources? And yeah, so, um, so this is a, uh, a lot of the, the jobs, a lot of services are, are, are background tasks. So um, this is a EDI uh, company. I'm not sure if you've heard of EDI, Electronic Data Interchange. Um, so if let me explain just the business model here a little bit. Um, so let's say you're uh, your Fitbit, right? And you wanted to sell your your products to Amazon and Best Buy. Um, normally, you would have to integrate with their systems separately. So EDI is kind of like this protocol and the standards. It's a very ancient protocol, but it's still widely used today. Um, where, so the company I work for basically sits in the middle where, okay, you integrate with us, we'll integrate you with Amazon or Best Buy or something like that, right? So it, it, it reduces the, the number of like integration points you'd have to implement yourself. So a lot of the tasks were background and document related. It was, it was basically the coordination of, um, of business documents, like, uh, you know, one, one, you know, one side sends a, purchase order, and then you got to send an invoice and then payment, things like that. So it's all these things that happen in the background. Um, so uh, as far as the stack, um, again, I was a, I was a JVM guy. So I implemented a lot of things in like, in like Groovy and Kotlin and some Java. Um, I think they refactored a lot of that stuff now since I've left. But um, yeah, so I, I was I was full on uh, using server like even in 2017 I was using step functions for instance, um, and to basically coordinate the the flow of of, of these like business documents to different systems. Um, I used a lot of you know obviously SQS SNS uh, had I don't know maybe six or seven microservices then, um, and this is around the time where I really really used the, this is when I started using the serverless framework and that's when I really kind of like fell in love with the with the framework um and i'm not just saying this because i work the serverless inc I've, I've been using uh serverless framework for such for a long time before you even joined yeah wow okay um so and when it comes to like good use cases for serverless uh background task is definitely one of those right yep yep yeah definitely um anything that's sort of event driven right um uh, what I mean, event driven is like, you know, if you received a, a purchase order, you got to do some processing and then you got to respond with another document, things like that. So if you, if you wire them up as events, then it's very easy to like, to, to, to model that, uh, using Lambda's, uh, Lambda functions. Gotcha. Yeah. What are, well, I guess, like what I would lead into next would be, um, you know, what are some other good use cases and what are some potentially some bad use cases or, and then the, the follow-up question to that one would be, can you make everything work in serverless if you architect it the right way? Or do some things just not work currently based on limitations? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Lambda has that 15-minute 
um, like limit uh, for execution. So if you're running like, you know, a, if you're running these huge jobs that takes more than that, and, and if you work for large companies, chances are they're running these like ETL jobs that like last for hours, right? So that might not be a, unless you can break it down to like, you know, and parallelize it uh, to, to a small enough um, unit or whatever, maybe you can go get away with Lambda. But for those types of things, obviously, you, you, you know, Lambda doesn't work right now. Um, another thing that I would say Lambda might not be a great choice is if you want to, um, if you're selling your product and you want it to obviously run in multi-cloud environment. Um, and I actually worked for a, uh, I actually worked for a, I took a break from serverless for a year, uh, from serverless architecture for a year. I worked for, for a startup, um, where it focused on, um, machine learning, uh, deployments. Uh, it, we were building actually basically, um, similar to Lambda, but it was, it was uh, optimized for machine learning, meaning it has GC- GPU support, things like that. Um, but the main difference is that. Um, we need to be able to install it in other cloud providers, the entire platform um, to like GCP and Azure, things like that. So if you have a business model like that, then obviously Lambda um, is not the right choice. So I was, I lived in Kubernetes land for, yeah, for about a year uh, when I was working at that company. Um, and it made sense for the business model, right? Not, not everything is going to be, uh, you know, Lambda, 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 but um a lot of enterprises, uh, a lot of uh, big companies still like to run in their own, you know, cloud environment, or whatever. Uh, and maybe some of them even want it on-prem. So if you're building a product that where your customers are falling in that category, um, obviously Lambda is probably not the, the not a good choice. Okay, so to repeat that back, uh, products that are like multi-cloud. Um, products that potentially these huge ETL jobs that run longer than 15 minutes. Um, and you can break it apart, but there's kind of that, um, I guess like another question I would ask is, um, there's, let's say you had a monolith and you had these ETL jobs, uh, it doesn't have to be a monolith, but you have these ETL jobs that last longer than 15 minutes. Um, let's say they run 45 minutes mm-hmm. and then you were going to take that apart, um, on a big application, would it be better to try to build it from scratch with Lambda, or try to take try to take that down and just like keep breaking it apart into smaller services? Do you ever find yourself drawing a line? Yeah, that, that's that's a good question. Um, it also depends on I think on on other services that that task might um, rely on. Um, for me personally, I would obviously start with Lambda and see if that works all the way. And if it doesn't, then fall back to something else. Um, but I think it's, it's very hard to, at least for, for these legacy applications to migrate the entire thing, um, to Lambda, right? You might, you might have to, to incrementally migrate bits and pieces here until you can migrate the entire application or, or legacy application to Lambda. Gotcha. Um, and then there is one more thing that came to mind when you talked about Kubernetes. Yep. Um, some work that I've been doing recently is with Fargate and EKS. Mm-hmm. Uh, so have you played around with that? And what are your thoughts on that service if you have? Yeah, so um, uh, I haven't worked with uh, EKS. I've worked with Fargate. Um, I think it solves a, a different use case. Um, so one thing, and you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on this, 
But one thing that I saw with Fargate is that it has to re-download basically the container, uh, the image for every execution. Um, so if, if you want, if you're trying to build a Lambda-like platform and you use Fargate, that's probably not the right, the right choice either. Um, it's, I can see Fargate as like, here's a, an actual, you know, uh, express server that you want to deploy to Fargate or whatever, or, or just some one-off jobs. But if you're trying to simulate, you know, function as a service at Fargate, I think you're going to see some performance hit there. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that would be a problem if you're trying to have a lot of invocations. Um, yep. You would need it to be like long running at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so let's see. So, uh, you know, an area that uh, I've been fascinated with recently has been uh, the, you know, like serverless cost savings aspect, as well as uh, what we talked about with understanding where serverless is not maybe the best fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the serverless cost saving side, do you have any uh, things offhand that you look for when you're trying to optimize an application that's already in production with serverless? Um, to be honest with you, it, it hasn't really come up yet based on my experience. Um, uh, when I was lo- when I was working for this the startup that I mentioned earlier with dealing with the you know business documents, it, the the pricing model actually it was a natural fit because um, that company was charging um, you know customers per document per document that it processed, like per million document, per 500,000 documents, things like that. So the pricing model for Lambda actually works for that, right? So I, I, I guess it just depends really on your on your use case. I still think that, um, yeah, the number of invocations or you might be paying more with AWS Lambda, but you don't need an entire, let's say, DevOps team for it. Like if you factor in that savings, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it can compare, honestly. Um, there's a lot of, like, even when you're running Kubernetes, right? There's a lot of overhead there. Um, and, I, and, I, and I witnessed that, um, experienced that firsthand. Um, where, I don't know, uh, us at Serverless Inc., um, I, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an, it's an issue for some use cases, but I think for most applications, uh, I don't really see, you know, it, being a huge problem. I mean, you you have you definitely have to keep track of your expense, right? Gotcha. Yeah. If anything, yeah. if anything, it's probably going to be you know the API gateways or the DynamoDBs or something like that that is going to cost more, or even uh, CloudWatch metrics. Um, but as far as like Lambda prices or pricing, I haven't it personally encountered a lot of uh, uh, issues there. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point that you brought up. Was just that um, Lambda specifically may not be where that serverless cost comes from, uh, and it could be these like supporting services um, that you might have to like think about. And then when it comes to what you said a second ago around uh, supporting these applications, when you're not doing a serverless application, uh, as you mentioned, you have to think about a DevOps team or an operations team, a tech ops team, some people call it different companies. Yep. Uh, what would your comments be around the when you think of serverless and when you think of cost savings on the cloud, uh, do you feel like people always take into consideration those supporting uh, people and resources, or is it sometimes too focused on the resources itself? Yeah, that's an that's an interesting question because um, I I would say it depends on on the stage or the maturity of your organization. Um, for instance, if you're a startup with less than ten, less than twenty people, I mean, uh, like you know, serverless makes perfect sense. Um, you shouldn't you shouldn't ha- you shouldn't have to hire. 
you know, that, especially for, you know, for most applications. Um, again, uh, it's going to vary from use case to use case, right? Um, just to give you an example, like, you know, at Serverless Inc., for instance, right? Um, we, we don't really have, you know, a dedicated, you know, ops, ops team or, you know, um, tech ops, right? Like we, we handle everything from ideation to, uh, management and production. So it, you know, you have to factor in the, those savings because you don't have to deal with a lot, um, of infrastructure stuff, um, when you're working with serverless. When I, when I was in the Kubernetes world, 90% of the pager duty alerts that I received were Kubernetes infrastructure related. Um, so that was, that was a huge, um, uh, burden <laughs> and, and, and a huge source of, of just like, time and resources and and just energy dealing with infrastructure um with serverless you still have to do a little bit of that if you're if you're using kinesis or something like that where it's not fully serverless right but you know you you don't really have to worry about pods or restarting uh you know nodes or uh, restarting agents or even clusters so uh i think it's not just money it's saving a lot of time i think per developers you're going to be more productive if you don't have to worry about it. I mean, some people love doing that stuff, you know. Some people, some people love, um, you know, managing infrastructure, and but it's it's that's not me. You know, I want to focus on delivering business value um, by writing, you know, the application. Yeah. Wow. Well, no. Well said. I think the part that really jumped out to me there was the ninety uh, percent of your alerts were from the Kubernetes infrastructure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean. Uh, it could be just a use case. Um, it could be just us back then because we didn't have, like I said, we didn't have a, a, a DevOps team, right? Um, but, but still it's, it's, it's such a huge time sink. Um, I felt like I, I feel much more productive in a, in a serverless environment when I don't have to worry about that and just, I can just build out features. Yeah. Okay. So this brings up an interesting point. Um, so how have you seen the teams change with serverless compared to more like legacy uh, applications? Um, I, I feel like with serverless, the teams are more are empower are more empowered uh, themselves to to manage the entire lifecycle of the application, right? Whereas um, in a traditional world, you you know you you don't really have a lot of control over where your apps are deployed or how they're, um, how they get there. Um, with serverless, because you own it uh, from, you know, it's easy to change things when they break. Um, and usually when serverless applications break, it's some logic, it's not infrastructure. <laughs> so it's, 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 uh, you have more control over it. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, let's see. I'm, I'm just trying to think of, of like, I just remember working, you know, pre-serverless. It, it was just, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but like standing up environments took, you know, a few days. Like if I needed to build a new app, like it, it took a few days to, for, for, for the ops team, for instance, to like, hey, hey, here's your dev or here's your product environment, you know, go at it. Um, with serverless, if you, like with serverless uh, framework templates, for instance, right? I, I, I made a lot of use of, um, of templates back in back then because I wanted all of my services to have the same um, like standards and and test you know um, frameworks mm -hmm. things like that um, where 
it's automatically hooked into Travis or Sentry or some 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 other like you know uh, common common you know libraries that you're using right so <laughs> you could you could co- you could literally say you know serverless you know create dash dash template URL and then point it to your template and then once you clone it <laughs> and then you do serverless you know uh, deploy uh, you have something in dev it, it takes it takes seconds to have something in a real environment um, that's just not the case uh, in most um, environments that are in most organizations that don't have serverless that don't use serverless yeah no that's a really good point on the um, the fact that serverless framework can do uh, templates so easily uh, we definitely have a lot of internal templates uh, at serverless guru where it's like we built an API and then we built like a monolithic API, and then we we have this exact naming structure and these folders yeah. and these files, and it's like you know you can you know if somebody asked me with like you know two plus three years of experience working with serverless to go like oh build me an API that does these background tasks or something like that, it's like okay five minutes <laughs> you know it's like it's already done because like it's like you either have the patterns yourself or you know where to find yeah. the patterns or you've done it so many times and it's the same that it's really easy to just like build new things. Um, yeah, and um, so th- there's some a lot of advantages to that too, right? Like if that that enables you to to experiment more. If it takes a few seconds to to launch a new service that you want to try out, and then it takes another few seconds to destroy that service, I mean, you're going to be experimenting more, right? I, I think it's going to uh, you know definitely result in more innovation. Um, and I can personally attest to that because. Uh, when I worked for that one startup that I mentioned earlier, we re-architected the entire platform three times in one year, right? Um, and we're able to do that pretty easily because like the serverless deployment model and the serverless uh, just way of doing things just made it so easy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Three times in one year. That's that's really impressive, actually. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. when you're trying to find a product market fit. You just keep at it. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so as we're getting towards the end, I guess like uh, the thing that I would want to ask you is what type of advice would you give to companies thinking about serverless? Yeah, um, I say go, go, um, there's, there's, it's 2020. There's no reason not to try it now, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, uh, obviously start, if you have some legacy applications, I would start uh, migrating slowly, maybe breaking up, you know, some, small services and putting it there. Um, and, you know, take advantage of the cloud, really, of the all, all the benefits of it. Like um, for startups, especially, I would definitely consider uh, serverless first before you look at, you know, other options out there. Um, but for, for larger companies, I, I definitely understand that you have, you may have some legacy application, things like that. So for greenfield projects, it's a, and, and proof of concepts is a great way to introduce your serverless to your team. Right. Um, I, I, I remember when, like, like I said earlier, like when I used to work at this, uh, you know, enterprise, like, uh, uh, company where we were migrating monolith apps, uh, from, from the mainframe, you just, you just try to find whatever, uh, break out the services as much as you can and like, uh, you know, migrate little by little and see how that turns out. All right. Well, um, for those listening, definitely try out uh, 2020, you know, go for it. Um, and then uh, regarding, you know, as we're getting closer to wrapping this up, do you have any things that you want to promote? Yes, I uh, obviously work for Serverless Inc. So please check out dashboard at serverless.com. Um, we're trying to um, 
we're building this uh, entire platform to make you know um, lives easier for serverless development with CI/CD uh, secrets management, um, you know uh, things like that. So definitely check it out. Um, uh, Previously, if you know if you're trying to build an application, you may need a, a whole lot of different other services like you know Travis or whatever. But we're trying to like make that one all stop um, one stop shop for serverless. So check us out, uh, dashboard at serverless.com. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that does it. Uh, thank you, Roel, for being our guest. Welcome. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show. And you want to know more, check out TalkingServerless.io or please leave us a review at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic serverless guest. Thanks. See ya.